Today we're going to talk about ethics in the field of private investigations and how does that affect you as a client if your investigator is ethical. Not only can it get you better results, but it also can prevent legal problems for you as a client or somebody who's using this information. Ethics come in play in terms of both how investigations are done on your behalf and also how the results are used. First, you want to make sure that if you're using a private investigator to do work for you, that the person is licensed or the company is licensed. If you use a company that's not a licensed investigative agency, first of all, it can create legal liability for you. And also the results may not be usable by you in any legal standpoint. Um, you may want to get legal advice from an attorney also to make sure that you're hiring an investigator for things that are going to be useful to you. Because if they're not going to be useful, then whatever money you pay for an investigator is not going to help. So what are some examples of where an investigator can do something that can cause more harm than good? Well, one of the most common types of investigations are an asset search. And asset searching is crucial to getting results from a lawsuit, maybe finding out what's going on with a divorce case, maybe getting to the bottom of a corporate embezzlement. Maybe there's a probate case that you're involved with as a family member of somebody who's died and there's other people involved with that case that are skimming money or hiding money. So asset searching is incredibly important. How an asset search is performed ethically can make the difference between you getting money from your case or even having to pay more money out. I'll give me an example. We worked on a case several years ago where it was a lawsuit between two parties and we were representing one of the parties as a, an, an investigator actually working through their attorney. And in this case, we knew that both sides were trying to get assets from the other side. So we did asset searching on the other side of the case, the counterparty of the case. And we located bank accounts and real estate and some other assets that were hidden. And our client and their attorney used this to collect on a potential judgment. Well, what we also said was, look, this other side is probably doing the same thing looking for assets on you. So let's take a look and see if they're doing it legally because looking for assets can be done in a way that's compliant with regulations or that can be done in ways that are illegal. And what are the regulations? Well, one of the most common that comes up is what's called the Graham-Leach-Biley Act, referred to as GLB. So if you're doing a GLB compliant asset search, the results can be used if appropriate in court because they were not obtained illegally. What's an example of a non-compliant asset search? Well, if you hack somebody's bank account, you're not gonna be able to use that. If you call up the bank and pretend to be the person who is your counterparty, hey, I'm Joe Schmo, tell me about my bank account. It won't be that easy, but some investigators will do things that are misrepresentation or identity theft to find out about bank accounts, it's illegal. Well, there's some things that are maybe not even quite as extreme that could still get you into trouble. And here's what happened in this case. We went through with the client and asked them some survey questions. And, you know, anytime there's a case where you're involved in a court case, we always go through to see what other activities are going on in your life. Is there any weird 
people showing up at your door? Do you have a ring doorbell camera showing cars driving by taking pictures? We ask if your friends or relatives are getting unusual inquiries. Did you get any weird emails with attachments, text messages? And we go through, we have a standard counterintelligence package that we do for clients to see if maybe they're at risk or threat of having intelligence being gathered on them. And one of the things we do is we look at their mail. Did you get any weird things in the mail in the last 30 days? And we went through anything unusual other than your normal bills, your normal utility invoices, credit cards, what have you, friends, relatives. And one of them said, yeah, we got this weird thing in the mail. It was a rebate check. What do you mean a rebate check? Well, they, they got a rebate check. Well, how much was it for? It was for like $15, $20. Okay, we know right away that this is a fraudulent asset inquiry. So we went back and we got a copy of this check. And sure enough, about three weeks prior, they had received a check in the mail and it said USA Rebate Company with a P.O. box somewhere in California, very generic. And it had a letter that said, thank you for using our products. We appreciate your, your um, patronage to our company. Here's your rebate you have coming to you and use it in good health, whatever it was. Okay. All right. Well, we knew this was a scam. And this is an old trick that some investigators will use to try to find out about your bank accounts. They send you a, a small rebate check, 15, 20, $30, hoping you're gonna cash it at your bank. And now when they get the check back, they see on the back what your account number is. And they can hack your account or get money from your account. It may seem like a legitimate thing to do, but it's actually illegal. It's what's called illegal pretexting. You're sending false information in order to get private information. And some investigators don't even know that it's illegal and they still do this. So because of this, we were able to get a copy of the check. We did some background searching on the PO box and the company behind it and the account. Sure enough, it traces back to an investigator who was working in the area where this case was happening. It was not in California, it was somewhere else. So by discovering this, we brought it to our client, to their attorney, they brought it to the court and this other party was was required to pay some penalties. And the attorney was sanctioned. The attorney said, I didn't know about this. I didn't know that this, this um, investigator was doing it. Well, you hired the attorney. It's your responsibility to know what they're doing is what the court said. So that's one example. What about surveillance? How can surveillance done unethically become a liability for a client? Well, when you're doing surveillance, it's for the purpose of gathering information. It's a one-way communication. You're observing and gathering information. It's not designed to communicate to the other party. You're supposed to be covert. You're supposed to be hidden. It's supposed to be done in secret. Well, if an investigator either intentionally or accidentally becomes discovered or somebody sees them in some jurisdictions, in many jurisdictions, it can be considered harassment or stalking because they're, they're the other person can say, look, they hired somebody just to, to stalk me or to harass me or to like get in my face. And some clients even ask you to do that. Hey, I want you to do surveillance. I want to make sure that they see you so you know, or so that they know that somebody's watching them. No, we don't do that. First of all, it's illegal. Second of all, it can get you into trouble. So if your investigator is not operating ethically, where they're taking the extra time to be thorough, to do surveillance properly, it could be construed as harassment or stalking and you can get in trouble especially if the other person is either represented by an attorney or 
a relationship partner. Relationship partner could say, well, look, I want to get a restraining order from you stalking me. Well, I wasn't doing it. It was my investigator. I don't care. You had somebody harass me. So that's going to not look good in court. Or if they're represented by an attorney and you're in the investigator goes up to them or talks to them, they're a represented client. They're not supposed to be contacted outside of that chain of attorney-client representation. So surveillance can come back to haunt you. What about intentionally trying to get the person to do something like drunk driving? I'll tell you about a story where an investigator intentionally tried to get somebody in trouble for drunk driving. But before we do that, let's talk once again about, one last time about assets. We had a case where the client wanted to find out about assets for collecting on a lawsuit. And this client had hired another investigator in addition to our firm to find assets. And this proves that unethical, not only is it dangerous in terms of liability, but also doesn't work as good. And this other investigator, unbeknownst to us, we knew they were working on the case, but we didn't know what they were doing, was trying to hack a person's email to find out what their bank was. You know, if you get into somebody's email, you can find emails, messages from their bank saying, here's your balance, you know, here's your statement, whatever it is. And they were trying to hack their email to find out about bank accounts or other assets. And they were doing things, you know, with their computer and trying to install malware on their computer, trying to send them text messages where if they clicked on a link, it would allow them to hack their phone, all kind of stuff. And we were doing other things to find out about assets. And what we were doing were steps that were compliant, GOB compliant. We're looking at public records. We're looking at business records, looking at bank accounts, bank account searches through Swift or, or whatnot. And there was nothing showing up. There was, there was a couple bank accounts with low balances, no real business assets. And we started looking through some shipping invoices and some repair and maintenance invoices. And what we found was some photos that were uploaded to ship some items from the house and to sell some items from the house of this debtor. And this debtor claimed they didn't have any assets. They were broke. And the reason they, they claimed that is because they had a judgment against them for like $400,000 and they didn't want to pay it. So we're looking through these photos and looking through the pictures and we even had asked, you know, um, the, the court to allow an inspection of the premises. And they said, yeah, you can inspect the premises. All I got in my house is a bunch of old furniture. So we went and looked. They were right. They had a bunch of old furniture. But they were antiques that they had taken many hundreds of thousands of dollars and went to Sotheby's auction in Europe and purchased over a half million dollars worth of expensive antiques. Had them shipped to the States and they put them in their house. That's where they're hiding your assets. Their assets were in plain sight, antiques, because most people can't tell the difference between a $100,000 Heppel white chair and something from Costco. It's an exaggeration, but you get the picture. And they had some pieces, some of the pieces were six figures for one piece. And because of, we were tipped off from some of these shipping invoices, some photos, some insurance policy information, we were able to figure out that that's where they had hidden the money. This other investigator was still banging away at trying to hack things. Well, we went to the court and said, look, we found these assets. You know, we want to do a garnishment of these assets and freeze the assets so they can't sell them. And this other counterparty was very adamant. They were fighting tooth and nail against everything. Unfortunately for our client, the other party that had all this hidden assets 
had found out about the hacking of their phone. And they brought that to the court, and the court basically wiped the slate clean for the debt because they said, you damaged this person by hacking their phone. So even though we had discovered and found all these assets, the other investigator who were doing things illegally and unethically ruined their chances of getting the money. So you want to make sure that your investigation is done ethically. And ask some questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. What about the drunk driving setup? This is a case where it was over a child custody dispute and one of the parties had hired an investigator to say look i know that my ex-husband he goes to this bar every night you know at two at 10 o'clock whatever it is and what i want you to do is send a female investigator to hang out with him make make him get drunk and then call the police when he's leaving to get him arrested for drunk driving so that way he'll lose custody of his kids and i can get custody we heard about this case from from uh, an attorney so that's what the investigator did the investigator sent a female agent into this bar, chatted up the subject, made him get drunk, knew when he was leaving, called the police, reported a drunk driver, and got him pulled over, he got arrested. Well, as part of the criminal defense of that person, the attorney, fortunately, did some investigation of their own and found out where the call come from. How is this, you know, it's too, too random. There wasn't a DUI checkpoint. It wasn't that the cop was just sitting there. They asked the cop, well, how did you come to arrest this person where were you well i was called well who called it in i don't know it was just a random complainant they did freedom of information act they got the caller id they found out who it was it was an investigator they tracked it back to the subject same thing that case was thrown out or settled for a lot less as in a criminal case and the spouse who initiated this whole setup that person was diminished of their visitation because they were now shown to have done something illegal and the investigator had their license suspended. So doing unethical things as an investigator, even though you see it on TV and it's in the movies, investigators can do sketchy stuff, that's not how investigations work. And if you try to do it that way, it's gonna come back to haunt you nine times out of 10. Because what we always do when we have a case is we always ask, what's the other side doing? And we look to see what they're doing because a lot of times they try to do things illegally even without knowing it. The last thing we'll talk about with ethics is contingency payments a lot of clients say well look you know i want you to find assets and i'm not going to pay you anything up front i'll just pay you 20 percent of the assets or 30 percent of the assets well the reason that that's not done first of all in states where investigators are licensed which is 48 of the 50 states it's against the law the state law does not allow investigators to work on contingency like some lawyers can and lawyers can't do it all the time either and the reason why is because they want investigators to report only the truth. They don't want an investigator to make stuff up or to create evidence that doesn't exist or to forge documents or to do something illegal. So they make it against the law to work on contingency. The other thing is you really don't want an investigator working on contingency because the only ones who would ever do that are ones that aren't really that good. Because there's plenty of cases to go around. And if you hire somebody that says, yeah, I'll, I won't take any money from you, but if I find assets, I'll just keep a percentage of it. What they're going to do is do some basic, easy work on it. But if it becomes too difficult or it's a really hard case, they're just not going to do any more work. Because why would they? They got nothing to gain. Because they don't know, even if they do all the work, who knows if the person really has any assets. Some people don't have assets. And if they do find the assets, they have no legal claim to them because of the law. All they can do is say, I found the assets. Here they are. Please give me some if you collect. 
They can't collect it for you. They can't go to court for you. They just have to beg you as the client to give them some at some later date, which you're not obligated to do. If you decided to tell that person, hey, thanks for finding the assets. Don't, don't bother me. I'm not giving you any money. They, had, they don't have any legal authority to enforce that agreement because it was an illegal agreement. So you're not going to find any good, legitimate investigators who know what they're doing that would even want to do it anyways, even if it was legal. So it's also something to keep in mind. And you want to have a professional working on your stuff anyways. So ethics are a big deal with investigators. In fact, we're working on one of our license renewals for one state. And for your license renewal as a private investigator, you have to have a certain number of hours of training and continuing education every year. And a certain percentage of it has to be under the subject of ethics because they want you to be aware of what the rules are because a lot of investigators do things that are wrong accidentally. They don't even know. So if you have any questions about your case, you can reach us at our website, activeintel.com. We also have the option for doing a video consultation with you with a licensed investigator to go over your case and listen to you and hear out your your scenario. You can also check that out on our website or go to teleclient.com. We have more information about that kind of consultation. And make sure if you're hiring an investigator, that you understand how they're gonna do their job, they're gonna do it ethically so it doesn't get you into trouble and put you in a worse place than when you started the case.